the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices. I don't have to show you any stinking vices. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome one and all. We'll get into the flip around coming up in mere moments on the Chris Salcedo Show. And I am glad beyond all comprehension to have you on the program today. We have a lot to talk about, and we'll get to it in due course. 888 if you would like to join the conversation. Part of it will be health care. Yes, part of it will be how news is covered in this country. And yes, the latest tweet from the president. We'll deal with that right off the top in the flip around. Telephone number again, 888 if you have an opinion one way or the other. Catching this show live, theblaze.com slash radio, Blaze Radio smartphone app, iHeartRadio app, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher for the on-demand listening. This is programming available from the Blaze that you can basically listen to on your schedule. You can listen to it one per day. You can listen to it five shows per day. Or you can save it all for the weekend and just dominate your weekend with nothing but talk radio. I don't know many people who do that, but if you wanted to, I suppose you could. Uh, social media. Go to the uh, Twitter account at Chris Salcedo TX at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X, as in Texas. That is automatically updated every single time we update Facebook. So if you see something that oh, looks kind of interesting, if you want the source article for it, just head over to Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show, and you'll find us. We've also included a handy-dandy email tab right there at the top of the Facebook page so that you can drop me an email should, should you not want to converse either on Facebook or via Twitter. And, of course, always check out the Chris Salcedo Show's presence on theblaze.com in the channels section. Theblaze.com in the channel section. Uh, it would be fruitless to go to the, to the flip around right now and see what the, they're talking about because I can tell you they're all talking about the president's tweet. President went after Mika Brzezinski. Uh, do I even want to? Do I even want to read the dang tweet? I suppose so. We all understand. Uh, hold on a second. I had to pull up here a second ago. Trump's tweet, Mika. Uh, let me just let me start this. Start off with this. This particular program. Uh, MSNBS and Morning Joe has been merciless on President Trump since he took office. He basically drove a lot of their ratings when he was running for president. He would show up anytime they called. And he would answer their questions. Sometimes he wouldn't because he didn't, you know, you all know Trump. He, he wasn't a wonky guy. But uh, Joe Scarborough and his soon-to-be wife have been absolutely, uh, well, to use Jeb Bush's description, undignified. Of course, Jeb Bush was describing the president. But let, let me tell you, let me read the, the tweets to you. I'll give you my reaction, then we'll play the press briefing today. And by the way, this is receiving bipartisan condemnation from Republicans and from and from Democrats. 
Donald Trump, the president of the United States, tweeted, I heard poorly rated Morning Joe speaks badly of me. I don't watch anymore. Then how come low IQ crazy Mika along with Psycho Joe came to Mar-a-Lago three nights in a row around New Year's Eve and insisted on me joining? She was bleeding badly from a facelift. I said no. Um, okay. So from candidate Donald Trump, I, I would have shrugged my shoulders. But from the president of the United States, the tweet is unnecessary. Every, you know, the, the whole bleeding badly from the facelift part. Uh, first of all, if, if he didn't meet with them, then how would, how would he know <laughs> that she was bleeding badly, number one? So this just seems like a gratuitous swipe. And I'm not sure if I, I pulled this down in the raw video, or the, the raw audio, I should say. But uh, one of the basket of bias press folks, this, by the way, dominated the press briefing today, said, shouldn't the president be held to a higher standard? Excusing the type of dialogue that happens on that show that is very much akin to what you just heard the president say. So it's okay for cable news people or cable hosts to say all manner of stuff. The president, in particular a Republican president, is supposed to rise above it and just let it be said and not respond to it. And I think there's some, there's some validity to that, but that's not who we elected. So as to the nature of these tweets, I wish my president would not engage in these things. I do believe it is below the dignity of the office of president of the United States to respond to these individuals. I would have preferred Mr. Trump say with all the vile things, the unfair things that that program says about me, they still wanted me to meet them at Miralago. So because not only by doing these tweets are you elevating Morning Joe, you're allowing Mika Brzezinski, who is uh, unfair, mean-spirited toward the President of the United States, has a vehement, visible, visceral hatred for the President of the United States, and her husband isn't far behind. You are elevating them to your level, and they're not. They're not. They're far from it. So, I can be honest. By the way, the entire press briefing was dominated by individuals in the basket of bias who seem to indicate that it's, it's okay for the likes of Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski to savage the president day in and day out with unfair name-calling. You know, that, that's, that's okay. They're just cable show hosts, said one reporter, but he's the president of the United States. I can tell you, I find both of these exchanges. What MSNBS, MSNBS and the Morning Joe program does on a daily basis and the president's tweet, I find them both shameful. I find them both to the level of a six-year-old, to be honest with you. And I can condemn them both. And I do. Uh, I expect my president to behave much better 
than the reprobates on Morning Joe. And they are that. They are reprobates. Biased hacks who are not giving the president fair treatment. Who have said things about this president they would never dream of saying about Barack Obama. Oh, and Barack Obama earned it. President Obama earned it. Maybe not in his crassness. Maybe not in his his delivery. Oh, because he was so polished. But most leftists, anti-American folks are. So let's go to the, uh, the flip around. We'll start off with the press briefing. John Roberts from Fox News gets the first question. Happy to uh, take a few now. John Roberts. Um, Sarah, in reference to the president's tweets this morning, which have been a matter of some discussion today, you said earlier on Fox News that the president has a right to defend himself when he is attacked, and it's no secret that this particular program has been very critical of him. However, the nature of the tweets this morning has drawn condemnation from people on Capitol Hill, including the Speaker of the House, Senator Graham, Senator Susan Collins, all of whom are allies of the president. Did, did the president go too far with this tweet in its deeply personal nature? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the president has been uh, attacked mercilessly on personal accounts by members on that program. Yeah, I mean, they get personal with Donald Trump on a daily basis. You know, um, if John Roberts were being fair, and I don't think he was trying to be, I do believe there has to be, uh, he's the president of the United States. He's not some faux Republican and some left-wing extremist like Meek Brzezinski. So you expect him to behave a little differently. Still, a knowledge or at least an understanding of what they do on that show nearly on a daily basis to unfairly tar and feather this president would have been nice from John Roberts to say, granted, what they say on that program is is oftentimes beyond the pale and they're mean-spirited and they dislike the president, still, and then asked his question. But there there is no recognition, and this is the nature of the unfairness of the of the coverage of this thing, is that because the president of the United States said it, he becomes the singular focus, and those folks and their conduct on on the NBC property, their conduct is in it all under the microscope, and it ought to be. It ought to be. And I think he's been very clear that when he gets attacked, uh, he's going to hit back. I think the American people elected somebody who's tough, who's smart, and who's a fighter. And that's Donald Trump. And I don't think that it's a surprise to anybody that he fights fire with fire. Uh, the things that this show has called him, and not just him, but a numerous members of his staff, including myself and many others, uh, are very deeply personal. So to then turn and pretend like, uh, you know, this approach is, uh, I, I guess it's kind of like we're living in the twilight zone. They do this day after day after day, and then uh, the president responds and defends himself, and everybody is appalled and blown away. It, frankly, um, if this had happened in the previous administration, the type of attacks launched on this program, uh, the things they say, utterly stupid, personality disorder, mentally ill, constant personal attacks, calling multiple members liars, liars to their faces while they're sitting on their programs. You know, those are just ex some examples of what is dished out daily, the hatred that is dished out daily on, on the Morning Joe program. Does it excuse Donald Trump's tweet? It doesn't doesn't excuse his tweet, but Donald Trump's tweet doesn't excuse MSNBC's conduct either.
It doesn't excuse it whatsoever. And what I'm struck by is that a lot of these members of the press are in essence saying, we can be as vile as we want to be toward you, but you're the president. You can't say anything about it. And I don't know that I enjoy that double standard. We can get down the mud. We can fling crap right at you all we want. We're Morning Joe. We're Mika Brzezinski. We're Joe Scarborough. And we can demean you and call you any name we want in the book. But you can't. You're the president. And if you do fight back, we're going to say that's below the dignity of the presidency. Well, I think both sides here are operating below the dignity of their responsibilities. The president of the United States and certainly those who are on a national platform on MSNBC. The rest of the media would have said, guys, no way, hold on. But nobody does that. But the president, he's not going to step back. He's showed that, and that's exactly what he did today. If I, if I could just follow on that, Sarah, if I could just follow on that. A, a, a couple of the criticisms from supporters of the president have been that this particular tweet was beneath the dignity of the office. Where does the president draw that line? We'll uh, get the answer to that question on the other side of the break. You found the Salcedo Show. And yes, we're going to be talking a little bit about the media today. Uh, a real journalist will be on the program. Her name is Cheryl Atkinson, folks. Back in a minute. Telling the truth. It's one of those jobs American liberals won't do. That's why we need the liberty-loving Latino Chris Salcedo. The Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Where does the president draw that line on the dignity of the office? Look, I, I, I think that um, he shows that every day in the decisions that he's making, the focus and the priorities he's laid out in his agenda. Uh, but he's not going to sit back and be attacked by the liberal media, Hollywood elites, and when they hit him, he's going to hit back. Sarah, yeah, I, I understand. Look, I understand the desire to hit back. But in that tweet, the president of the United States even said the show is low rated and it is. So if few people are tuned into them, watching them call you stupid, call, uh, saying all of these things about you. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders went down the list rather adequately of some of the, just some of the things that Mika and Joe have called president Trump. Then, then why elevate them utilizing the bully pulpit? I mean, it's every single time a terrorist burns a president in effigy, the presidents haven't. Oh, that's terrible! They're and they and they really stink. And they they it it is it is not good political practice to elevate your enemies. And make no mistake about it. Uh, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough are the enemies of this president and his agenda. Uh, so I, to me, I would not be so quick if I were President Trump to, to use the, the office of the president of the United States 
to elevate them because what what you're admitting, Mr. Trump, is that they're getting to you. Now, you can say something in a rather nebulous fashion if, you know, and there are plenty of examples of Mika Brzezinski saying those awful things and those unfair things. And when she says that, you know, you can say you can say something to the effect uh, or, or, or gather it up and say another, another example of the bias that exists. America deserves better. And that and that would be true. But when you attack, you make her a sympathetic figure. Uh, and, and Mika Brzezinski doesn't deserve anybody's sympathy. Mika Brzezinski is is a committed left winger who doesn't have the best interests of the United States at heart. She supports a political party that has the same agenda as as many socialist countries around the around the globe, which is that to the detriment of the United States of America. Uh, someone who doesn't believe in capitalism, someone who doesn't believe in freedom. Uh uh, someone who believes in the all-powerful state lording over you. So she she ought not be turned into a sympathetic figure because the President of the United States viciously attacked her. And he did. There is There are plenty of legitimate reasons to attack Mika Brzezinski for the things that she says rather than going after her botched plastic surgery. Or her facelift or whatever she got. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure she got it. But approach her on a substantive basis. That that would be my suggestion. Uh, but this all continued. Time the president has a chance to speak directly to the American people, it's a good thing. Sarah, so. how do you feel about the president attacking another woman, specifically for her looks? And what does that show as an example to how men should be treating other women? Uh, look, everybody wants to make this a, a, an attack on a woman and a quality. What about the constant attacks that he receives or the rest of us? I'm a woman and I've been attacked by this show multiple times. Yeah, so um, what about that? Uh, again, the press has turned this into a misogynistic attack from Donald Trump on Mika Brzezinski. But Mika Brzezinski and the Morning Joe uh, Scarborough show over there on MSNBC, they savage Republican women all the time. Kellyanne Conway could write a novel, could write, well, not a novel, could write a, could write a tell-all book about how many times she has been put down and savaged by that show. But for some reason, nobody gets up in arms about the misogyny that showed against Republican or conservative women on that program. And I mean, I think Sarah Huckabee has a, has a point here. But I don't cry foul because of it. Uh, I think that, you know, you want to create this false narrative. Uh, one hand, it's like, let's treat everybody equally. And on the other hand, they attack, attack, attack. And he responds. And apparently that's wrong. I'm sorry, guys. I've, I've answered this. Yeah, I've answered this question. She was done at that point. All right. Uh, up next, folks, I do not want to let go of the Obamacare discussion because it impacts everybody here trying to find solutions for you to get around Congress, to get around all the big moneyed interests so that your family can be taken care of and you don't go bankrupt. You're listening to The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. We do know that the uh, many more people, millions, hundreds of thousands of people will die if this bill passes. One to two thousand people will die if you cut 750,000 people from, from Medicaid. So that means you're killing one to two thousand, killing them. Yeah, uh, Democrats are, are, are saying that uh, because Obamacare was passed, people are no longer dying, which makes it a miracle in my, in my estimation. And if, and if Republicans go back to an era before Obamacare, then, then people will die. Reform of, our, of the medical system will lead to folks dying once again. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about all of this. Dr. Dennis Durrell, he's a physician. National Medical Director of Acute Services for IPC Healthcare. He's the author of Your Healthcare Playbook, Winning the Game of Modern Medicine. Doctor, welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. As someone who's in the trenches, let me just ask you. You've seen what the Republican Party has put up, the House side and the, and the Senate side. Uh, it's fair to say these are not repeal bills, right? That, that we're going to still have Obamacare around no matter what happens. That's very fair. I mean, it's been interwoven now into the healthcare system. There are major parts of the Affordable Care Act that have to do with how Medicare pays hospitals that nobody's even talking about. So yes, they're broad, it's a broad bill. We cannot unwind it. But what this is surgically doing is rolling back certain parts of it and strengthening other parts. You want to call that repeal and replace? Fine. You want to call it fix? That's fine too, in my opinion. Let me ask you about the net effect. Now, this is this is rather adept. And of course, there's a compliant press that deals with this. But what a guy I call Resident Obama did is he added a whole bunch of people who were not supposed to be on Medicaid onto Medicaid. And it had several bad effects when he did this. But uh, uh, Families USA put out the statistic and they're a left leaning group and they were using this as a as a, a laudatory move when they were detailing this stuff. Uh, but just for two states, California and New York, Barack Obama added more, uh, 5.6 million more people who should not have been on Medicaid onto Medicaid. And that's just, that's just two states. I didn't even add up the other 30 states who, who had undertaken the Medicaid expansion. And, and this had serious ramifications for vulnerable, vulnerable populations. And nobody talks about uh, the government going back on its word and and, and expanding the Medicare man Medicaid mandate, uh, and and but and now the conversation is oh now Republicans want to cut Medicaid. Would you address this? Absolutely, the Affordable Care Act. Let's just face it; it was giving people Medicaid. Fifteen million. You quoted some numbers. Fifteen million people got Medicaid that shouldn't have gotten Medicaid. They came up with an exchange in subsidies for these people that need it. Why not give that to them? But they didn't do that. It was a major flaw to use Medicaid as the plank. It ended up to the Supreme Court decision, and then half the states or 31 expand, and the others don't. It created so many problems. It was something that never should have been done, not to mention that just like the Super Bowl when Jerry Jones had it there, and they got there, and they had a ticket but no seat to the game. That's what Medicaid is. You get a ticket to the game, but when you get there, there's no seat. If you look at the data on access to specialists, it's really unfair to give someone that Medicaid card, in my opinion, 
They need to roll that back. They need to contract and not expand Medicaid. And that's what the Senate bill does. Now, they need to protect some of the out-of-pocket costs for the lower income. And I think they're going to address that with some of the money that was left over that they have to play with. That, that's, a, that's a great point. I never heard it put quite that way into a sports analogy, but you're absolutely correct because what this idiotic move by the previous administration did is it harmed those the Medicaid was founded to help uh, the, the, the disabled, the vulnerable women and children. And as you're, you're right, these vulnerable people are, are showing up to the stadium. They don't have a seat because uh, some politician and some political party filled up the stadium with a whole bunch of people who didn't even have tickets. <laughs> That's right. And so, but if you make that argument, though, now you sure at the beginning of your segment, you put on some of the hyperbole about people that are going to die. But if you make that argument, the academics, and I'm on Twitter debating them, they will clearly say, oh, no, 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 Medicaid is great. It's just as good as private insurance. And they quote these different studies. But they're confounding variables in those studies. They're looking at whether you have a primary care doctor. Now, keep in mind, most Medicaid is managed Medicaid, and they assign you a primary care doctor. So if you ask the question, do you have a primary care, they automatically have one. Ask them if they've gotten into a high-powered specialist that they really need to see. You don't see that in any of these studies. I I defy you to show me one. Dr. Dennis Durrell, folks, he's a physician and a national medical director at the Acute Services for IPC Healthcare. Uh, in your book, uh, the uh, uh, the healthcare playbook, winning the game of modern medicine. Uh, I'm I'm glad we got you on because it was timely. Because over the last couple of days, we've been formulating who we're really fighting against. And when I say we, I mean the American people. We are fighting against Congress. We're fighting against big pharma. We're fighting against who I call the traitorous insurance companies and these large medical groups who have made slaves, in essence, out of the doctors of this country uh, with Obamacare, basically saying you guys can't start hospitals of your own and compete against them. It was part of Obamacare. And the big question that everybody has in their minds is how do we beat these these forces arrayed against the American people? And I think your book addresses this. Absolutely. I start to say, look, the patients are the most valuable players on these teams. You have got to be empowered. There are ways that you can empower yourself, but first you have to understand the system. You have to understand the complexities of the system and then use it to your advantage. There are a lot of ways that you can set up your own, you can get your own high deductible insurance, you can get an HSA, and you now own and control your healthcare dollar. You can go and bargain for a procedure that you need to have. You can ask about your deductible up front and offer to pay cash and pay less. You can find an MRI for a lot less money. And what I say is don't wait for this system to come around. You take the power now to, uh, to get the kind of value of healthcare you need until we get to the solutions that will help you. And I think they will come. And, and really quickly, I only got about 30 seconds left. Is the future of patient-centered care bypassing Congress, bypassing the moneyed interest that I just mentioned, and is the future actually something that we were doing before, which is direct patient-doctor relationships, direct patient care? Yeah, I think it was. It was back to a day where the patient and the doctor made the decisions. The doctor stuck up for the patient against the insurance company. And uh, the power of the dollar was helping, uh, you know, get the kind of care that you needed. We went so far afield of that. 
and we need to get back to that. So until we get there, uh, my book helps people understand how to navigate that. Name of the book, Your Healthcare Playbook, Winning the Game of Modern Medicine, and the author, Dr. Dennis Durrell, Physician and National Medical Director of Acute Services for IPC Healthcare. Sir, appreciate the time and the expertise, and the fight goes on. Thanks for being here on the Salcedo Show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Let's get out to the President of the United States, who's speaking live right now. The topic is energy. With Ryan and with a group, it's going to be open. And the land will be left in better shape than it is right now. Is that right? Better shape. We have finally ended the war on coal, and I'm proud to report that Corsa Coal, here with us today, just opened a brand new coal mine in the state of Pennsylvania, the first one in many, many, many years. Corsa, stand up. Come on. Congratulations. Congratulations. blowing a lot of people and we are putting the coal miners back to work just like I promised just like I promised when I went through Ohio and West Virginia Wyoming and all of the different places and I see Bob back there congratulations Bob he's in great shape right you're in good shape Bob right from the beginning good you just- yeah Bob's in good shape folks and hopefully our energy production in this country will be in equally good shape uh, up next uh, we will Talk a little bit about the press. Talk a little bit about the mainstream media, as it's called. And there's a difference between media and press. I'm media. The press are folks who are supposed to be journalists and are supposed to be non-biased. And there was a fascinating discussion between Phil Donahue, who was a man of the left, and Stephanie Rule over at MSNBC that I want to talk about today on the program. Uh, And that will actually set us up for our conversation with Cheryl Atkinson, a real journalist. Folks, you're going to hear hear from a real live journalist right here on the Chris Salcedo Show. It's a hard find these days. Be right back on The Blaze. It's not just a show. It's a movement. Join the swarm. Twitter hashtag Salcedo Swarm. Only on The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Latino conservative Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. A fascinating discussion that was had on MSNBC today. Was it today or yesterday? Phil Donahue, who is a well-known liberal, showed uh, showed up and was talking with Stephanie Rule. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's uh, R U H L E. Anyhow, I don't think this ended up being the interview that she thought it was going to be. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Well, actually, I'll explain to you why when you hear this. I think she expected some agreement from Phil Donahue when she talked about what what Donald Trump has been saying about the, the biased press. Here's Phil Donahue reminding the folks over at MSNBC that the job of the press isn't to just oppose Republicans, isn't just to oppose conservatives. They're supposed to be fair. Listen to this. But uh, this is a two-way street. I I don't think the press should get in the mosh pit. You know, I think they have to all all be big boys, big girls, and take the hits. 
take the hits and hope that we have a, an audience that understands this. And the, the, the people who are beating up Trump um, or the people that are getting beat up by Trump will fall of their own weight. I just think it's a bad thing for the press to get in to the, to the punching game. And by the way, I, my, in my experience, I don't, uh, there are a lot of people in the press who can't take a punch. See, and, and so the, what he's talking about is twofold here. First off, many in the press these days think it is their job to stand up for the Democrat Party. They are to be the, the main opposition to Republicans and to the conservatives, in particular, this president. And because the Democrats are in such disarray. Now, the problem with that is when we had a Democrat administration, they didn't view themselves as the Republican Party. They didn't, they didn't treat with equal fervor Barack Obama the same way that they treated Bush or they're treating Trump right now. And that's the problem. The press is supposed to treat individuals in government equally, regardless of their political party affiliation. But this particular press does not. So what Phil Donahue is saying, I don't think the press ought to be in this mosh pit, meaning you're not supposed to be involved in politics. You're supposed to report on the politics. You're not supposed to be in there throwing punches. And if you do throw a punch, you start whining if somebody punches back like Donald Trump. And that's what Donahue was saying. You, if you, my dad used to have an expression when I was a kid. He said, if you're going to run along with the big dogs, you better lift your leg a little higher. So if you're going to declare yourself over at the NBC properties or at CBS or ABC or CNN, if you're going to declare yourself the political opposition to Republicans, you better be ready to take the hits. Otherwise, behave as journalists. Be honest arbiters treat this president the way you were the last president and the, treat the uh, bush the way you would you treat obama treat bush the way you did clinton and there is demonstrable uh evidence that that isn't happening and it's gotten worse under this president it wasn't happening before but it is full tilt uncloaked uh bias by the most part now Stephanie Rule doesn't understand where this this war in, on Trump with media evolved from. How do you do that when the president is really taking a page from the KGB playbook, fake news media? Let me delegitimize the media. And even this idea, the liberal elite, most journalists work really hard for not a lot of money. So this idea, these elitists, that's tough to take. Well, see... It's not about you. And that's what I don't think she understands. It's not supposed to be you versus Trump. It's not supposed to be about that. Jim Acosta had this same, has the same complex where he has to be seen on TV and he gets upset when the TV cameras are not allowed when it's audio only because there's not enough of him. He views himself as the, as the anti-Trumper, the anti-GOP or the anti-conservative. He's supposed to be a reporter. He's supposed to be a journalist. It is. 
It is, and I, I just I think that uh, the best way to handle this is to just keep working. Don't be so sensitive. Don't look. Don't look like you're have a glass jaw. Don't what does that go, mean? That means you go down with a like it's a boxing phrase. Yeah, it means you go down after the first punch. We'll talk more about this. The current state of the press. Cheryl Atkinson next. You're listening to The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. I don't have to show you how to stink in This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Glad you made it, everybody. Hour two here on the Chris Salcedo Show. And really quickly, let me finish out our, our examination of this conversation between Phil Donahue and Stephanie Rule over at um, MSNBC. How did we get here, though? How did we get to this fake news vortex at a time when there's more media than ever, there is pressure for clicks, and even institutions like the Washington Post and the New York Times are called by the President of the United States the fake news media? <laughs> she doesn't, either she doesn't know or doesn't remember the origin of the term fake news. Let's discuss this and many more things with Cheryl Atkinson. She is an Emmy Award-winning investigative journalist, folks. A real, live, bona fide journalist. We can't find them anymore. They're, they're almost extinct. She was a correspondent for CBS News from 1993 to 2014. She is the host of Sinclair's Sunday morning news program, Full Measure. And Cheryl is the author of the brand new book, The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and how you vote. Cheryl, welcome back to the Chris Salcedo Show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all ours. Trust us. Uh, look, I, let, me, let me get off uh, first on this foot of reminding uh, uh, the folks over at MSNBC where the term fake news came from. It came from originally a smear toward Donald Trump because they were saying the only reason he had won the presidency was because of the fake news that was being generated by the Russians, and then he co-opted that term and uh, turned it on them, and now they don't appreciate that term very much. It's funny because people forgot that, you know, I traced it back really to September of 2016, and a group called First Draft, a nonprofit on the web, announced this anti-fake news effort, partnering with groups like CNN and New York Times and Washington Post, and I dug in a little bit about them. And it turns out they were founded in the U.K. at the beginning of the election season here at the election cycle with funding primarily from Google's parent company, Alphabet, whose CEO or whose head was Hillary Clinton's second largest donor. And as soon as they made their announcement in September, within a month, President Obama was jumping aboard saying there had to be curators in the wild, wild west to get rid of fake news. And all of a sudden, as if they had their marching orders, this phrase made headlines nearly every day in the media. Right, you're absolutely correct, until 
Donald Trump co-opted it and started putting it back on so-called journalists who were fa fabricating news. Uh, the most recent example is CNN, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I thought it fascinating that, that, that this individual, Stephanie Rule over at, at MSNBC, she really either had forgotten or didn't understand the origin of the term fake news. That's right, and that's why I kind of call him President Trump the anti-smear candidate because of his unconventional way of handling things. Um, he's the wild card, and they, they really, all attempts to smear him seem to ultimately backfire. Uh, I was asked by one of our, our listeners who knew you were coming on, could you please ask Cheryl this about the infiltration of the news media by persons hired by outside progressive liberal entities uh, these individuals are supposed to sway news coverage to the left to be sympathetic toward the left wing can you explain that I'm, I'm imagining he was wanting to find out if that was detailed in your book yes I mean what I say is there's been an infiltration that's taken place over the past decade where we're not only inviting political pundits and operatives and even corporate actors to be on the news you know talking points is for state television well we've invited them in our newsroom as well hiring them as editorial presences as reporters and anchors producers and people who are making decisions to steer the narratives and why are we surprised therefore that narratives in the end are being steered by the very people that we're reporting on emmy award-winning investigative journalist cheryl atkinson our guest right now the book is called The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. CNN, MSNBC, the major networks. I, I, I don't think I, I am stepping out of line by saying that actual journalism has really fallen here in this country, and it's to the detriment of, of, of our citizens. I, I know that you, you being an actual journalist has probably mapped this fall. How did we get here? I think it's been many years in the making where there's an entire industry that's grown up in the past decades that has realized the value of being able to co-opt the images we see on the news and with the advent of the internet online and in social media. And they've perfected the techniques because they know that there's nothing more powerful than controlling the images the public sees for a political and usually financial interest at its heart. And they've, how we got here is I think we in the news media were not as careful as we should have been and could have been in making sure we stayed independent of these influences. By the time I saw it happening with my stories, maybe starting about 10 years ago, the sophisticated efforts by corporations and PR firms and law firms that would try to stop news and you know smear reporters so that they didn't report certain things. Uh, by the time I saw it happening with more frequency and sophistication, I was saying to people at CBS and the lawyers at CBS and investigative reporter conferences, we need to look at this and really focus on it and develop our own strategies to make sure we remain outside of that influence. And I, I just feel like not many people were focused on it or thought it was very important. And, and now it's, I won't say it's too late to ever fix it, but it's so far, it's so deeply entrenched. I don't know what you do that's an easy fix. Yeah, to circle back to the, the whole fake news and, and its origins, and let me add another layer to that. Uh, on the Republican side, repeal and replace. Now, we here on the, on the Chris Salcedo Show, opinion, not news, 
we have called, well, BS on, on this whole idea of repeal and replace of Obamacare. That's not what the Republicans are doing. They're tweaking, they're repairing, whatever. They're not re- repealing anything and they're not replacing it. But you see all over the press this, this echoing of what the Republicans are, are, are saying. It's repeal and replace. And there's no thoughtful examination of what the Republicans are actually doing. And, and this, to me, is symptomatic of a press that is being led by the nose rather than, well, frankly, doing what what you used to do, which was, I am not going to accept the narrative. I'm going to report what I find. It, it seems that there could be a financial component with a lot of these newsrooms not not having the financial resources to to do that kind of thing anymore. But it's also laziness, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people cite resources over time as to why certain kind of reporting isn't done. And I don't buy that because, you know, there, it's possible to do that kind of reporting without a lot of resources. It doesn't always take money. It takes desire and some brain work and, you know, legwork, basically. So I, I don't think it's just a resource issue. But Yeah. Hey, guys, are we loser? Because uh, uh, I'm not hearing her on my end. I, Cheryl, can you hear me? Yeah, for some reason, guys, I can't hear her. Uh, okay, uh, let me just reintroduce her and hopefully we can get her back here really quickly. Cheryl Atkinson, everybody, is an Emmy Award winning investigative journalist. She was a correspondent for CBS News 1993 to 2014. Uh, she's the most, uh, uh, the host rather, of Sinclair's Sunday morning news program, Full Measure. Cheryl is the author of the new book, The Smear How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. Guys, any luck in getting her back? Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, let me uh, just divert here briefly and give you guys a little bit of history. And when we bring her back on, I'll be able to ask this final question. Cheryl Atkinson was dismissed from CBS News. She was dismissed because she had it in her mind that she was to report with the same serious vigor on the Obama administration that she had reported on the Bush administration with. That is a journalist's job to be fair and even handed regardless of, of, of who is inside of the Oval Office. And she took it seriously. Uh, during the Bush administration, the folks at CBS had no problem with her being a hard nosed journalist and going after the truth with the Bush administration. However, when she took that same work ethic, Uh, into the Obama administration, there was a problem. The Obama administration had come up with a war room designed to berate, to abuse, and to threaten access to certain news agencies if they didn't fall in line and stopped and, and didn't adopt the president's mantra or mindset or or vernacular on how to refer to certain issues. And like I was just talking with Cheryl Atkinson about, she wasn't about to do that because it would be compromising. Well, and and I've interviewed her before. It would be compromising what she had basically set herself up to to do her entire life, which was be a hard-hitting journalist. And uh, the Obama administration didn't appreciate it, and thus CBS didn't appreciate it. So... Uh, I'm, I am so sad that our, our cell phone signal and our, our phone signal uh, died out. 
We'll have to end it right here. Cheryl Atkinson, everybody. Uh, Full Measure is the name of her Sinclair Sunday morning program and the name of the book, The Smear. How shady political operatives and fake news control what you see, what you think, and how you vote. I'll be right back. It's Chris Salcedo's show here on The Blaze. Broadcasting with Latin flair. This is The Chris Salcedo Show on The Blaze Radio Network. Show. Conservative talk radio with spice. All right, we got her back. Uh, folks, uh, welcome back. Cheryl Atkinson, the name of the book is, uh, is The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. Cheryl, gra- glad we made a, a reconnect. And, and, and I, only had one, I only had one more question for you, but I'm, I'm happy to, to talk a little bit more about you because uh, uh, some behind-the-scenes folk stuff uh, that were going on today about <laughs> me trying to connect with Cheryl, I'm going to take every opportunity I can, and i got to get her out of here because she's got another interview to go to. But uh, I had set up this question by detailing how you were fired from CBS and the circumstances surrounding that. Now, I'm not going to say that your being uh, your conflict with CBS and your being let go by CBS was the harbinger or what started all of this. But I think it was one of the symptoms that showed that uh, of coverage going downhill of having a slant. You hear now journalists referring to right wing news and you hear them referring to left wing news. And I was always under the impression it was just supposed to be news. Uh, this polarization in news isn't healthy, is it? Oh, no. Did we lose her again? (laughs) Oh, no. Well, you know, folks, not for lack of trying. Not for lack of trying. And I I don't want to put words in her mouth. So you know what? We'll just save it for another time. Uh, We will save. uh, That's something to tease, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to uh, Cheryl Atkinson. Again, I, I really highly recommend the book. She doesn't put out anything bad. I mean, I have, I have yet to hear or read of anything, any of her products that are not straight down the middle and full of integrity. The name of the book, The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. Glad, you, glad you, she could have made it at least for the limited time that we had her here on The Chris Salcedo Show. Okay, now, uh, some other things we want to get into, and I brought this up with Cheryl about what the Republicans are really doing. Now, what have you guys been force-fed by the... By the <laughs> are you kidding me, really? Okay, you know what? No, 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 no. Let's, I, I mean, I, maybe I will get the answer to this question. I am dying to ask this question. Cheryl, are, are you back with me? Yes, I'm here. Okay, excellent. Uh, so the, the, the question I have basically w- w- was this. We, I detailed for the folks the circumstances surrounding your, your being let go from CBS. And, and I don't want to say that was the harbinger, that was the beginning of the downfall of journalism, although I thought it was a travesty. But uh, nowadays we're hearing journalists openly saying, oh, right-wing news and left-wing news. And I was under the impression there was supposed to be just news. And this polarization is not healthy for journalism, is it? It's not. And, you know, what I've noticed is if if you're sort of CBS like I was for many years or PBS or CNN, you're considered just the news, even if your ownership leans left and supports Democrats and so on. But if you work for anybody else, 
you're automatically right-leaning because <laughs> you don't work for one of the left-leaning outlets, but they're rarely called left-leaning. So um, as someone who's been all across working at various different organizations, it's interesting to see the labels that come, um, you know, that, that have come with all of this and the turn that it's taken. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm a big proponent of education and getting some sense back into education. Don't you think something has to happen at the educational level for, for journalism students so they can get a proper perspective? Because I think you're right. I think what they're learning at the college level or maybe even the high school level is that left-wing bias equals real journalism, and anything that's not left-wing biased is, is either fake journalism or right-wing bias. I think that's true. The problem is for us to correct, um, I've been saying lately, we have to A, admit there's a problem and B, have the desire to change. And I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we really have admitted in our industry we think we have a problem. We think, we're, you know, many of, the, many of the people we're talking about think they're doing exactly the right thing. And they certainly haven't developed a you know, desire to change. Well, I am glad to promote your work and promote your book. Again, folks, The Smear, How Shady Political Operatives and Fake News Control What You See, What You Think, and How You Vote. We're always thrilled to have you. Cheryl Atkinson, everybody, is the author, Emmy Award-winning investigative journalist. Keep us posted on what you're up to because we love having you on. Okay, Chris. Thank you so much. All right. Pleasure was all mine. Telephone number, folks, you want to weigh in is 888-933-93-888-900. 3393. See, I finally got that last question asked. And it, boom, there you go. (laughs) We can call that done. Now, to the Republicans. We are being told that there is an effort up on Capitol Hill by the Republican Party to repeal and replace Obamacare. Is that the truth? I take you to Molly Hemingway last night having a conversation with Bill Hemmer on Fox News Channel. And she, rather honestly and forthrightly, let us all know what what she believes, and I think she's telling the truth here, and I think she's accurately portraying what is going on here uh, up on Capitol Hill with Republicans. She had this to say. I will submit to you that Dr. Krauthammer here last night, sitting in that very chair, submitted the reason why this is so difficult to do. When you have an entitlement, it's very difficult to pull it back. And Molly, is that where we are? I think what we really have seen with both the House and the Senate bills is that there is not much of a consensus for repealing Obamacare. So I think they should actually just admit that this is not a bill that will repeal Obamacare. It's a bill to fix Obamacare. And when you are viewing it that way, you do have much more flexibility to actually build a coalition to pass uh, to pass legislation. You know what she's talking about. That coalition will be made up of the very people who inflicted Obamacare on us to begin with. Um, she's right. Don't get me wrong. She's, she's 100% correct. But the strategy she's laying out there necessitates that Mitch McConnell abandon this silly repeal effort. And try to get Democrat buy-in, the very same people who got us into this mess. And only they did. Not one Republican vote gave cover to this travesty that is Obamacare that's, that's causing so much damage, so much pain. Then you got to ask yourself, well, why aren't the Republicans committed to repeal? They've campaigned on it for seven years. And the Senate bill actually does give quite a bit of uh, room there. It has uh, that um, 
things that conservatives should be happy about, things that liberals should be happy about. So we'll have to see how it well, goes. Well, we know where the president stands. He said this about it today, about Obamacare going down. Obamacare is dying. It's essentially dead. You don't give it the subsidy, it would die within 24 hours. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a headache for everybody. It's been a nightmare for many. And we are looking at a health care that would be a fantastic tribute to our country, a health care that will take care of people finally for the right reasons and also at the right cost. I don't think that's what's happening here. I mean, I, I understand what the president is trying to do. I understand they want to get health care out of the way so they can get to the, what they're really good at, which is uh, tax reform. But look, uh, why can't they come up with a simple repeal measure? They've been campaigning on it for the last seven years. Well, the problem seems to be with people who call themselves Republicans. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo. You know, I still sense that we're at impasse, and I said that yesterday at lunch with our Republican caucus, and everybody kind of laughed because, yeah, there's still quite a bit of disagreement. And it's there's basically two factions. There are conservatives like myself who don't want new federal programs. We want to repeal Obamacare. And then there's uh, the moderates who kind of want to keep some of Obamacare, and they're not too uh, opposed to new federal government programs. That's in a nutshell, folks. That's Rand Paul detailing what makes up the Republican caucus. Well, not only in the Senate, let's be fair. There are plenty of these non-conservative Republicans inside of the United States House of Representatives as well. Who are individuals who believe that Republicans can just administer the large, oppressive state better than Democrats can. They're pure of heart. The Democrats are the devil, but you get, uh, you get Republicans in there and this massive, bloated, bureaucratic government that, takes, that sucks the very marrow out of your bones, that is consigning your children to, uh, well, destitution because of the overwhelming debt. We're at $20 trillion now. These individuals populate both sides of the political aisle. They dominate the Democrats, and the Republicans have a certain segment of their population who, as Rand Paul rightly pointed out, they just don't have a problem. They just don't have much of a problem at all with the big administrative state lording over your life. So what I've come up with, and I talked to the president yesterday about this, is what about dividing the bill in two? Mm Mm-hmm. Do the repeal, which no Democrat will vote for, repeal the taxes, repeal the regulations, and do a fix to Medicaid that helps to pay for everything, reform Medicaid. No Democrats will vote for anything good like that. But Democrats will always vote for spending. Sure. And so the the big government Republicans that want more spending take the spending and put it in a bill that the Democrats will vote for. There are about, there's about 20 different bills Democrats vote for every year. Stick it on one of those mm-hmm. bills, and now you have two bills. Boom, you get it done in five minutes. And the president seemed 
open and interested in the idea. Well, so what? So basically, what you got to do is you got to buy off all of those big tax and spend Republicans. You've got to promise them that um, the the American taxpayer will be raped at some future point. Uh, and they and their Democrat friends will be able to get all kinds of money, but but it, uh, and and then redistribute it. You've got to assure them of, of that. But then, but then, you do get rid fully the cancer that is Obamacare. So at least you buy the American people. It, it would be a give and take. Yes, we're going to be destitute, but at least we'll have great health care. At least we'll have one sixth of the U.S. economy that is not taken over by socialism. So that's the trade-off, and that's, that's what Rand Paul... Now, I think his idea has merit. I don't like the idea of having to buy off so-called Republicans any more than you do. But I think that's where we are from the likes of uh, Susan Collins and others who just love themselves your money, love to take your money and redistribute it to folks they believe need it. Now, you heard Rand Paul make reference to reforming Medicaid. We had some of this on the show yesterday, and we talked a little bit about it with uh, our doctor in the first hour. But think about this. 50, I think um, Dr. Durrell said that we added 15 million people across this country onto the Medicaid rolls. 15 million folks that shouldn't be on Medicaid who are now on Medicaid. Medicaid wasn't designed to handle these people, but Obama, King Obama said, let me be clear, I declare you should go on there. And Democrats applauded, yay. And Republicans retreated and, and cowered in the corner. And now the narrative is, oh, the Republicans, they want to take away your Medicaid. And it was never intended for you 15 million folks. It was never intended for you. They want to take it away from you. That's the insidious nature of, of our opposition. And we need clear thinking, articulate conservatives and Republicans to be able to make, to be able to make the case that I just made to you. That these individuals, and, and by the way, the doctor made the case too. These individuals who have been, who are ineligible, who are leeches, who have been piled on to Medicaid, they are taking away the resources that could be used for the people who are really in need. The disabled, vulnerable women and vulnerable children. The very people that Medicaid was founded to help. Now there is something I'm going to draw your attention to. It's on the Chris Salcedo Show Facebook page. And it's from one of you. It's the second post from the top. I have some of the most brilliant Listeners in talk radio. And this listener put her imagination and took action to let the Republicans know what she thought. And I dare I say she echoes many of those who are conservatives, the Republican constituency. Let me see if I can pull this up, make it larger. I could tell you about it or I could read the exact note. Let me see if I can make this larger. Okay. Dear Republican National Committee, thank you for your recent fundraising letter. <laughs> I am grateful that Republicans in Congress 
have voted many times to repeal Obamacare and included in the GOP platform in which I quote from page 36 to that end, a Republican president on the day on the first day in office will use legitimate waiver authority under the law to halt its advance. And then with the unanimous support of congressional Republicans will sign its repeal. It is time to repeal Obamacare and give America a much needed tax cut. Says the RNC. Now this was the promise that was made during the campaign. This was the promise that, what did it say? Unanimous support of congressional Republicans. Well, apparently, nobody told Susan Collins, A, that she was a Republican, or, or B, that she was supposed to support repeal of Obamacare. <laughs> nobody told Heller from Nevada that he was supposed to be a Republican, part of this unanimous support, and was supposed to support repeal of Obamacare. See, these people are more interested in keeping money flowing to those who don't deserve it. Those who have been added to Medicaid wrongly and improperly to the detriment of those who really need those resources. They would rather uh, that continue. Uh, Our listener went on. Sadly, it now appears that many voters in the Republican Congress took to repeal Obamacare fully knowing Obama would veto it were just show votes to lure us into continually supporting the GOP. Therefore, please accept my show donation. Remember, she just said they were show votes to repeal. Now, please accept my show donation. I am also gladly sending show donations to my congressman and to our inglorious leadership, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. P.S., The one good thing that you have going is President Trump and his administration. But let me be very clear to all of you, bait and switch Republicans. The primaries are coming. The primaries are coming. And she includes a picture of her check from Bank of America, which reads the following. June 25th, 2017. RNC. Pay RNC absolutely nothing. Zero dollars zero cents zip (laughs) this is my show in the memo show donation for show votes this is brilliant absolutely brilliant I'd like to direct you to the Chris Salcedo show Facebook page second post from the top not only do I encourage you to share this with every conservative you know. But I also encourage you, maybe if you're so inspired, to send in your own show donation to let Susan Collins, to let Mr. Heller, and all of these other so-called Republicans know what we think about their show-vote repeal efforts and also their faux repeal effort. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Molly Hemingway is absolutely correct. When she says it's not a repeal effort, it's not a repeal effort. Newt Gingrich was on Fox News today saying that not only does the president need a translator, but so too does the Congress. He was talking with Bill Hemmer, 
My next guest says that the president needs a translator. His word, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, author of the New York Times, number one bestseller, Understanding Trump, also a Fox News contributor. Nice to see you in person, Mr. Speaker. Good day to you. Good to be here. Translator? Yeah, not, not just the president. Not just the, What's the not, solution? Not just the president. The whole party needs a translator. One example. I asked an audience the other day, how much do you think the House Republican Party bill uh, cuts Medicaid over 10 years? People said 20%, 30%, 50%. I said, well, how would you feel if you knew it went up 20% over 10 years? Actually, they spent 20% more in the 10th year than the first year. Because only in Washington does a 20% increase count as a cut. This is the narrative that Republicans are running away from that the Democrat Party is making. Because you don't give more money to Medicaid or the money to Medicaid that we believe it deserves, we're going to call it a cut, even though there are increases every single year to Medicaid for the next 10 years. But that in the mind of some bureaucrats and some fiscally irresponsible leaders, Democrats, and even some Republicans, that constitutes a cut. And nobody's making the case. Nobody is standing up and, and saying what Newt Gingrich just said. He's not even an elected member of Congress. Where's Paul Ryan? Oh, we don't want to make that case. We're too busy running because the Democrats say we want to kill people. 888 Don't forget the Chris Salcedo Show Facebook page, folks. It is hilarious. A show donation for all other Republicans' hard work and their show votes. Back in a minute, the Salcedo Show on The Blaze. Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. We were trying to cover more people. You know what? We paid the political price for it, but sign me up. And the Democrats went into the minority since 2010, primarily because the Republican Party used this issue to bludgeon the Democrats. They demagogued the issue, repeal and replace, seven years, no plan, nothing. That was Tim Ryan, a Democrat from Ohio. Some are saying that because of his fiery speech that uh, Nancy Pelosi ought to be looking over her shoulder. But let me address the substance of what the Democrat from Ohio had to say, Tim Ryan. First off, he said, the Democrats beat us up over Obamacare. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Ryan, your party deserved it. They got no Republican buy-in. There was no bipartisanship in Obamacare. It was, let me be clear, I won. That was it. That was the, that was the sum total of debate from President Obama. So all of the, all of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, all of the, blowback that you received from Republicans was deserved and the rollout was botched. Uh, 
the results have been botched. I mean, can anybody look at the massive increases in premiums, the massive increases in deductibles and say, well done, Democrats? And it is solely your responsibility, Mr. Ryan. You and your party, sir. Solely your responsibility, not one Republican vote. Now, to his criticism of seven years of the Republicans rightly pointing out the disaster that has been Obamacare. They have no plan. On this, Tim Ryan has a great point, a fantastic point. And it makes the Republican Party look silly. It makes the Republican Party look trivial. It makes them look like, to be quite frank, ladies and gentlemen, it makes the Republican Party look like they don't know how to govern. If you're going to sit there and bash on a Democrat idea, which richly deserved it, of socialized medicine, you damn well better have a plan to come back and say, well, here's how we would do it better. And you better have it ready to go day one, in particular when your campaign literature said that you would would have that ready to go. In particular, when that was the main impetus and one of the selling points that you said a Republican control of Congress and the White House was so needed so we could repeal and replace Obamacare. And to have no plan to make that happen is absurd. And it's irresponsible. And you deserve that criticism. All right, remember everybody, society's worth not measured by how much power is seized by government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. Have a great day, folks. Friday tomorrow. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network.